0: Thank you so much. Well, good morning. This is amazing. I mean, what a lot of you. And it was so hard to find. I mean, we really, it was amazing. And it's just gorgeous. What a great day. I mean, we've had the Derby, we've had the FA Cup, and now we've got this, and it's just too good to be true. Since we last met, because I have been to see you once or twice, And you've obviously been up to mischief and you've grown exponentially and this is marvellous. But um, since I last saw you, there has also been a sadness in our lives, my life, in that my little sister died a little while ago now up in Scotland, which was a cause for great grief for all of us. It was a shock. And she died, God bless her, of alcoholic liver disease. So it was pretty grim stuff. However, John and the boys and I went up to Scotland for her funeral, appropriately. Uh, she lived near Loch beautiful area. And we were in a village, and the church was packed, because everybody loved her. She was eccentric, and they all loved eccentricity. And, um, however, there were two little hotels in the village. One was passable, and we put the boys in that one. <laughs> and the other was basically Faulty Towers with a Scottish accent. <laughs> So John and I went and stayed in Forty Towers. And uh, there was a very garrulous landlady. I mean, she was, uh, was very sweet, but very, very chatty. And I came down on the morning of the funeral wearing a colored dress, because I don't do black. It doesn't favor me, frankly. So I wore a brightly colored dress and a little jacket, and it was appropriate. And the woman looked at me and she said, oh, she said, I thought it was a funeral. <laughs> and I said, it is a funeral. It's my sister's funeral, actually. But I feel that it's appropriate she would appreciate a little color. And the woman said, reminds me of my friend, my friend's mother. Now, my friend's mother died. And before she died, she said, all I want at my funeral, colors, 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 colors. (laughs) And she said, my friend came down looking like a harlot. (laughs) And I said, thank you. At which point she panicked. "Oh no, 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 she said. "But it was one of the gifts of God from an otherwise miserable day was to be called a harlot. And John, John has been signing his text to me ever since MFH, my favorite harlot. So I, I stand before you brightly colored and of questionable persuasion. However, all to say, these things happen. And God is very kind and imaginative and amusing. If you have a Bible within reach, would you like to reach for it in a sort of showy-off sort of way, because not everybody has. And um, if not digital, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. Without telling each other all about it. Right, Acts chapter 2. We have just celebrated Pentecost last Sunday, if you hadn't noticed, that most celebratory of days. And here again, on this gorgeous summer Sunday, the church is here to play. And rightly so, enjoying the consequences, quite honestly, of the Holy Spirit having been poured out, the gospel having been preached, and the church having been born. Because that is the story of Acts chapter two. The Spirit of God was poured out in Jerusalem on that memorable day, and we have been living in the afterglow of it, if you like, ever since. Acts chapter 2, we'll whistle through one or two of these verses. The first four verses. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The effects of the Holy Spirit poured out. They were seen, flames of fire. They were heard, cacophony of languages. They were felt, wild winds. And the Spirit was experienced. The Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, is to be experienced, as we will be doing through the course of the day but experience needs always to go hand in hand with explanation and never more so than here on the day of pentecost and so the spirit having been poured out the good news was then preached and peter no less peter who only weeks before had denied point blank that he had ever clapped eyes on jesus he was the one he was the one that stood up bold as brass And with a new level of energy and a new ability, which he had never had before, so affected was he by the Holy Spirit that he preached the most stonking sermon, probably the greatest sermon that has ever been preached. Let me explain, he said. to Let me listen listen carefully to what I say. This was Peter transformed from a pathetic coward and to a preacher extraordinaire because the Spirit of God had been unleashed in the early days. And of course, he preached Jesus. He preached the Jesus who lived, the Jesus who died, the Jesus who lived an extraordinary life and died an excruciating death, and the Jesus who was raised from the dead. And he concluded in chapter 2 and verse 36, he said this, Therefore, he said, Therefore, brothers and sisters, having expounded the whole of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, and having rebuked them for having been a part of it, This Jesus whom you crucified, he said. This Jesus who you handed over. I mean, he made them hang their heads in shame. And then he said, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And the people were cut to the heart and they cried, brothers, what shall we do? The Spirit of God fell in incredible power, transforming lives, convicting them of sin. And the result of it was what we now walk in today, the birth of the church itself. The church was born on Pentecost Day. And here we are now living and celebrating the reality of being church. For all her faults and foibles, for all her mistakes, for all the stuff that people write about, for all the the things that go wrong, the church remains God's main means of making his wisdom known in the world. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, it was his intention that now, through the church, the manifest wisdom, the multicolored, multifaceted wisdom of God would be made known in the earth. It's a phenomenal thought that we are, you and I, I mean, it's, it's almost beyond believing, bizarre as it seems, we are, we represent God's plan A for the saving of the world and for the revealing of his wisdom to men and women from one end of it to the other. And here we are in the middle of this glorious playing field on a fantastic summer Sunday, deep in the heart of Devonshire. It's hard to imagine But it's true. That's who we are, and that is who we are for. So the church was born, and the very last verses of the book of Acts, of the chapter 2 of Acts, say this they devoted themselves, they come to Jesus, 3,000 of them in a day. They couldn't cry out to Jesus fast enough, they couldn't get saved fast enough. 3,000 were added to their number just there and then at the power of the preaching and the outpouring of the Spirit. And the church was born and we read this, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, that's to the scriptures that they knew them, to fellowship, you're doing very well on that front, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, everyone was filled in awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done among them. They had everything in common, selling their possessions they gave to everyone as he had need. Every day, verse 46, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number. And we are part of that number. Phenomenal, wonderful. John and I, over 35 years ago now, we started a small group in our home in Wimbledon, uh, and we rather grandly called it the Vineyard, and it was the Southwest London Vineyard in Embryo. And we spent the first months of church planting, I suppose you would say, teaching, studying, trying to put into practice these five verses. That's what we built a church on. That's what you, John and Joe, have built this fellowship upon. The teaching of the the apostles. The expectation that God will do signs and wonders among us. The sharing of our lives. The sharing of our playtime like this. I mean, this is a gorgeous illustration, really, of this very thing. This is what we do. This is enjoying fellowship. Enjoying being one another. And sharing together with glad and sincere hearts. And praising God from the heart. Like you did at the very beginning, he is good, he is good, he is so good, you cannot sing it often enough. Shout it, sing it, dance it, jump it, whatever you were trying to do was very impressive. But it looked a little bit too much like a workout for me, so I upped it up at that point. A little bit physical, I thought. However, all of it to say, this is the sort of church I want to see multiplied across the face of the earth. This is what church is about, people. And these are the absolute distinctives that I think we are looking for in the churches that we're a part of and that we're adding to all the time. We're looking for a devoted people who choose to worship. I've got five little things. A devoted people who choose to worship. That's who you are. We walked in here this morning, sort of navigating our way through the Armand Cressons, and we found a people devoted to worshiping God. So all the fun and all the chaos and all the chat ch- 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 and all the crumbs and all the coffee and everything. And then suddenly we got focused because we are a devoted people who seek to worship God before we do anything else. People that gather together week in and week out because that's what the church should be. Who gather together on the first day of the week, a highlight, a priority, a non-negotiable for the Christian believer because we do not want to neglect to meet together, to stir each other up to love and good works. And we've taken a terrific hit during COVID. Nobody's ever known anything like it. Well, certainly not since the war, which would count out most of us. We took a terrific hit, but we need to get back. We need to get back doing the stuff, being together, stirring each other up to love and good works. And remembering that it it doesn't matter whether it's good or bad. It doesn't matter whether the band is in tune or not. It doesn't matter whether the preaching is high-powered or not. That's not the point. A wonderful Chicago Baptist said, I don't go to church to hear a sermon or to have fellowship, although I enjoy both. I go to church to bear witness that Jesus Christ is alive and to worship him. That's why we're here, people. I mean, I'm sure the football rounders will be terrific and the fajitas I can hardly begin to imagine. But we are here to bear witness that Jesus is alive and to worship him together. I was brought up as a Presbyterian, a little Presbyterian girl, and we were brought up on the Westminster Confession of the 17th century, and when the Presbyterians came together for the first time. And the first point of the catechism as a child that we learnt, what is man's chief end? In other words, purpose. And we would chirrup back man's chief end is to glorify god and to enjoy him forever and part of the ultimate enjoyment of ultimate point of enjoyment of god is to worship him there's nothing like it and i don't know if you notice there are certain points in a worship set i mean i love all this worship stuff there are certain points when the spirit of god descends particularly and have you ever noticed and you worship leaders i'm sure you know this But when we talk about the Lamb, or when we call out worthy, worthy, or when we bow down before the holiness of God, the Spirit of God comes. That's pure worship. It's beautiful. So I love to worship those in those ways. A devoted people who love to worship. Ordinary people who follow an extraordinary God. Without wishing to be rude and a visitor to whom you've been very welcoming, I cannot but observe that you are all remarkably ordinary. <laughs> John and I are not an exception to that. We are as ordinary as the rest of you. But we are. I mean, look around, we're such a motley bunch, honestly. We're such a funny group, and doing congas and things. I mean, we're very, we're very ordinary. But in the hands of God, we become unbelievably extraordinary. Abraham Lincoln once said, God must love common people. He made so many of them. <laughs> so welcome to the club, common people, all of us. C.S. Lewis was once very dismissive of the church, before he became to love her Lord, of course, and he insisted, in the end, the basic laboratory of knowing God is the Christian community. That's where we work it all out. That's where we do our Christianity. I don't know if you've ever come across a man called Matthew Parris. He's a columnist for the Times, or was. Wonderful writer, interesting man, tragic figure, once probably knew the Lord, but has since come very vehemently against him, but he wrote this in the Times. (laughs) If I believed, he said, what Christians say about the possibility of knowing God, or even a tenth of it, how could I care which version of the prayer book was being used? I noticed a dearth of prayer books this morning. This is fine. I would drop my job, sell my house, throw away my possessions, leave my acquaintances, and set out into the world, burning with desire to know more. And when I had found it out, to act upon it and tell others. This is an unbeliever. I am unable to understand, he said, how anyone who believes what is written in the Bible could choose to spend his waking hours in any other endeavor. It's not extraordinary? This is a man who doesn't believe, but longs to. Longs to. So I want ordinary people committed to Jesus who want to go out and do the things that Jesus did with a passion and to, have, to be used by God in this beleaguered, tragic, needy nation. Because anybody who is beyond those doors without Christ is without hope in the world. And we've got the goods, people. We know the truth. And we don't have to be tiresome. We don't have to be tub thumping. We don't have to be um, religious. We just have to show Jesus. I was at a tea party this week. It was very lovely in somebody's garden. And there was someone there who'd been suffering from sunstroke. And so I said, may I pray for you? I mean, it could have knocked her over with a scone. She was very (laughs) surprised. However, it was so sweet. And I prayed for her and the Spirit of God came on and she just teared up. You people, we've got this in our hands, at our disposal, any moment, day or night. You can simply turn to somebody in the bus stop or on the station or whatever. I used to, we used to live in London, not now, but we did, and I would get on the tube and I would ask the Lord to show me things about some of the people I was sitting around. It's quite fun, especially when it's, you know, tiresome on the tube. And I would get sometimes a little, we say, word of knowledge, or just a little sort of butterfly impression of somebody. And then I would tell them, excuse me, you'll think me a little bit strange. I'm, believe, a Christian. I know there's a God in heaven, and I I know he loves you. I think this is what he would like to say to you. And then I'd say it, and then I'd get off at Gloucester Road, whether I wanted to get off or not. I just (laughs) fled. And it was brilliant. It was brilliant because it was a contained experiment. It's like praying for somebody at the checkout in Tesco's. You've got to keep moving. You can't stay. And it's a good way to practice. I would encourage you, honestly, I mean, look at you all, even listening to these stories, the Spirit of God comes on you and you think, yes, we could do that. I could pray for somebody in the garden, or I could pray for somebody on the bus stop. Lovely things happen. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what was happening in the streets of Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost. So I want ordinary people. I want devoted people. I want kind people. Our church is to be full of kind people who show mercy and compassion to other people. I recently invited, when we were still in London, I recently invited a neighbor, literally over the garden fence, to come to church. She was a wonderful friend. She came to know Jesus, and I, loved her dearly, I do love her dearly. But she had a very, very difficult home situation with four small children, the last of them severely, severely almost vegetative, so dis- 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 disabled was he, and has been ever since. And she was not happy. She was struggling with her marriage. She was struggling with her life. And she said to me this, I had just been thinking I might try and find your church. I need somewhere I can just sit where people will be kind to me. Oh my goodness, there are so many people out there and all they need is someone to be kind. It's so underrated, we don't talk about it much, but kindness is so precious and it should be the hallmark of us as believers. It's very important. People are out there struggling. People are sick. People are bereaved. People are anxious. People are struggling with their finances in ways they've never had done before. They've grieved the loss of a relationship, the loss of romance, the loss of a job, the loss of friendships, the loss of people. People are in terrible situations with awful problems everywhere we hear about them. They're sick, they're oppressed. Where else can they go? When we were first married and worked in an Anglican parish, I'd been teaching in a girls' school, which was actually quite sheltered, to tell you the truth. So I got to the parish, and it was quite shocking, because it was so strange. There were so many different sorts of people. And it was a culture shock for me. And honestly, it, it was, we were doing the youth, and it was great fun, but it was quite different to anything I'd ever been in. And our vicar's wife said to me, my dear Ellie, if they cannot come to us, where can they go? That's the truth. The doctor's surgery can't do it all. The police can't do it all. The local gym, the yoga club, the book club, none of them can do it all. Citizens Advice Bureau doesn't know everything. Where can people go if they can't find kindness among us and in the church? And then I look for an obedient people like you. Obedient people who follow what the scriptures say. I want people who know and love Jesus and who love his book above all else. Obedient people who love the Bible and whose first question in any situation or predicament is what does the scripture say? What does the scripture say? Paul to Romans in chapter four. The scriptures are our benchmark. They are our plumb line. They are our gold standard. They're what Moses said to the children of Israel. These are not just words. These are your very life, people your life stands and falls by this book. And I want a church that studies that and preaches it faithfully week in and week out, looks at a verse together every time you meet together, every time you come to pray together, you look at the scriptures and take something from there. That's the sort of churches we look for throughout our land. Because as the church, you realize, it's not always like a summer Sunday. We are increasingly being challenged. Many of us are likely to be persecuted in the years to come. Some of us may be imprisoned for putting our faith in what Jesus has said, and then putting a foot wrong or a word out of place according to society's norms. These are, you may not have noticed, crazy, crazy days. These are crazy days. People are beginning to challenge the way in which God made them. They're beginning to try and shortcut or even abort the process of creation. Many are trying to engineer the means of their own dying. These are crazy, crazy days. And never more have we needed to hold fast to the truths of the scripture. What does the scripture say? So we're looking for devoted people. We're looking for ordinary people. We're looking for kind, compassionate people. We're looking for obedient people who love the Bible. And then finally, of course, we're looking for empowered people people who are full of the Holy Spirit. And this is where we were going to land. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out in immense power. It unleashed in a startling new way that had never been seen before, such that ordinary people received and experienced God's power in unprecedented ways. And that's still happening. And you know, people, it's still happening today. Lives are being transformed, bodies are being healed, nerves steadied, demonic powers broken, marriages restored, families put back together. Ordinary believers are taking to the streets, and you do that. You take to the streets to pray for the sick, to feed the hungry, to visit the prisons, to care for the broken. It's up and running, people. This is what's happening right across the world. You only hear the horror stories of the church in the press. They never tell you about the healings. They never tell you about the deliverances. They never tell you about the wonderful things that go on which do. Just a week or two ago, John and I were at a conference in Nottingham, of all places, furthest ends of the earth, and we saw the Holy Spirit poured out, even in Nottingham. It was amazing, (laughs) particularly on young people. And there was a sort of sense of things going on. I know this has been happening across the world. A sense of things stirring among anyone that was under, lived and breathed that was under 25. Quite a few people allied, I have to say, when it came to ministry time. Come forward if you're under 25. I thought, you're not under 25. <laughs> <laughs> oh. However, the truth is the Spirit of God was poured out, and just there and then, one young man, who had been deaf in one ear from birth, fully restored healing. Deafness restored at the drop of a hat in the presence of the Spirit of God. Recently we had a conference for our young um, and there was a girl that came, a teenager. Uh, Parents were pastors. They insisted on bringing her poor love because she was in such deep trouble and so sad and broken. And during the worship, she turned from the Lord and during the worship, she came to this thing and she... Worship, she was caught up, as the spirit does. She was caught up in the worship and she felt something happening in her flesh. Now she had carved into her thighs, great cuts. And after the worship, she went off outside to the ladies room, checked herself out and her flesh was like the flesh of a little child. Nothing left, no scarring. Just being in the presence of the spirit of God just being among his people. Nobody touched her, nobody prayed for her. But the Spirit of God intended, intended to make himself known to her. And she was restored. It's a wonderful thing, people. And we can do this stuff. It's it's at our hands, it's at our disposal. The Holy Spirit empowers us to pray for sick people, be they friends or neighbors, or even the garden fence, colleague at the coffee machine, somebody in a you know, lecture room, somebody in a I, oh, student bar even, gracious me, best places. That's the place to go. I was a barmaid, I do know, in other days. He empowers us in this wonderful, wonderful way. Just one little story to encourage you, and then we must pray. But we have these neighbors in London, and um, she came to me one day, and she said, she'd come to Jesus by then, And she said that she had a lump in her stomach. It was the size of an orange. I mustn't exaggerate. I I won't even make it a grapefruit. It was about an orange. But it was free-flowing. It was moving around, and it was horrible, and she was frightened. I mean, she had four children under ten. She had every reason to be scared. And I was incensed. Do you know sometimes you just get... I think it's righteous indignation. Like Paul at Athens, outraged at the things that were going on. And I thought, this is outrageous. This woman has come to Jesus. She has four small children. How can this thing be? So I said to her, well, maybe we should pray. Now, if she'd had a spot or a broken ankle or a cold, my faith would have been high. My faith was not high. A lump was a bit of a challenge. So I prayed as best I knew how, and I just said, Lord, would you shrivel this lump? I could only get as far as a shriveling prayer. So we prayed, and she went away for half-term. Meanwhile, surgery was booked, mother was booked, children were to be told, and she came back the following week, and she came to see me, and she said, Do you know what? I think it's smaller. I said, Do you mean shriveled? And she said, I think it has shriveled. Now, this does a lot for one's faith. Suddenly my faith was rising. I thought, The Lord is here. This is amazing. So let's carry on. So I said, Well, why don't we pray again? So I prayed again much more faith, much more excitement this time, and she went off to, to get another scan. And she sent one of the children around the, that afternoon with a piece of paper, scrawled across it diagonally, it's gone. The thing had completely disappeared, completely. And the mother was canceled, which was a very good idea. <laughs> Surgery was canceled. You know, wonderful things. John recently pre- pre- prayed for somebody at a rock festival. Imagine us! So funny. And somebody there that we'd never met before, and he had a bad back, and you prayed for him, didn't you? And he went back to his surgeon, and his sur- surgery was cancelled. He was healed. This is do, du- I'm only telling you these stories to tell you any old fool can do this in the nicest possible way. <laughs> I'm talking about not you. No, 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 I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't specifically thinking of you, but it illustrates a point. <laughs> so do you see what I'm saying? Do you see what I'm saying? Do you understand why this is so exciting, important? This, people, is the church on the move. This is the sort of church that will impact this land. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth, including upper and lower Ashton, or whatever they call higher Ashton, including Christo, Dunsford, Exeter, wherever you like to name. God's intention is to make himself known through the local church. And my intention this morning was to build you up in your most holy faith and to tell you how wonderful you are and how well you are doing and how much more there lies ahead. And the people said? Amen. 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 Now... You're very sweet. What I would love to suggest, I'm going to ask the Spirit of God to come. And uh, uh, well, just as, as you said, let's invite the, God, the Lord to come. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence this morning. And we thank you for your intention to bless us. We thank you for all that you did on that glorious day of Pentecost. But Lord, we recognize that that was then... And this is now. Those were glory days, certainly, but these are glory days. And Holy Spirit, we invite you now to come in power on your church gathered in order that your church may be empowered and go out scattered to affect this city, this part of our land. Anywhere you go, come Holy Spirit.